Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. It's Turkey Day week, it's Turkey Day week, everyone's gonna gain at least five pounds, woo-woo, America, go! It would be really interesting to live in a world where there was, like, a mandated weight gain minimum every holiday season. I... a mandatory? Yeah, like... I don't think we need that. I can imagine a, a dystopian novel or something where one of the rulings is that, like, you're not really an American unless you gain at least 5.3 pounds over Thanksgiving weekend. I would argue that that is a mandatory thing with certain circles. <laughs> gain five pounds <laughs> Thanksgiving week. <laughs> it's like, yeah. show, show your manhood, show your, show your, your, your your love for America by eating food that was brought to us by the indigenous humans and first first Americans that were here. What you shouldn't do over family Thanksgiving meal is show your manhood. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Um, don't do that. <laughs> One of my favorite recurring sort of uh, annual traditions, I have a couple of friends who do similar things, but every year they'll post the prompt... Uh, sex with me is like Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. And then ask people to finish it. And it's things like, you know, I always feel bloated and tired afterwards. Or, or I'll show you some stuffing. <laughs> it's always more awkward when your racist uncle shows up. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> the more the merrier. <laughs> yeah. There you go. You're getting into the spirit. I, I like this game. <laughs> I I have seen hey, those listener. before, but yeah. How you doing, listener? What's up, camper? Here's what I want from you this week. Please email 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or post to our social media how sex with you is like Thanksgiving. How is sex with you like Thanksgiving? That is, see, we thought my opening was just, you know, ridiculous banter as it Usually is, but instead it has led us into a question for our viewers. What is not viewers? What is possibly our least wholesome um, <laughs> audience request ever? Maybe, yeah. I was like, I was trying to think like other things we've asked, but uh, I will say that uh, our our super fan Lindsay, uh, uh, I I don't have any art up in the apartment yet because we're still moving in. But the live, laugh, push babies uh, cross-stitch <laughs> is sitting in our bedroom window, like on the sill. <laughs> yep. So I have a picture of Lina the other day um, sitting next to it. And I'm like, this is just delightful. So I guess that was a request, but that wasn't unwholesome. Especially because it came in cross-stitch form, which is just, like, beautiful. Yeah, which kind of makes everything seem more wholesome. Well, it's like my other friend, my friend JJ, who listens sometimes, uh, she uh, came on the cruise ship. She's a best friend of mine from, another friend of mine from high school. Um, she she crocheted, I think. I don't think it's cross-stitch. I don't know the difference because I'm not 
I'm not cool and craftsy. Um, but I have a thing in a frame that says, turns out I'm 100% that bitch. <laughs> Which is also sitting next to the live, laugh, push babies. So I just want to point out, if someone comes into our room that doesn't know me, it's going to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> what in God's name is this woman's deal? Uh, so crochet is much more like knitting. Cross stitch is when you like put. Like the crisscrosses. When you. Yeah, when you when you stitch something into a fabric as opposed to crochet, which is like oh, that's you, like, like my, yarn that's, to make. A oh, that's thing. like my 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 sloth doll that my friend Brianne made yes. me on the yeah. Brianna made me on the ship. Okay, because I also have a crocheted sloth that's rainbow colored named Voodoo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> These are the things my friends make me, and I like my friends. <laughs> Thanks, friends. Possibly one of our less less wholesome requests yeah. on the show. Um, although we never know what a request from the show is going to turn into because we requested um, some haunted stuff that kind of backdoor turned into Clown Corner. And it's still happening. It's still happening. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we do have another Clown Corner this week. That was my not-so-subtle segue into it. So, um, <laughs> Clown Corner. Yay! <clears throat> Uh, so what Clown Corner is, is my own particular brand of um, nightmarish side tangent where I talk about clowns because <laughs> no one has asked me to stop yet. So if you, dear listener, don't enjoy clowns, please feel free to write in and give me something better to talk about. I- Until then, <laughs> in the year 1900, English circus clown Joe Craston and his wife, equestrian acrobat and high wire performer Martha Cashmore, had a daughter named Louise. Sing out, Louise. When she was 12 years old, Louise and her sister started a musical act performing with their parents on the road with circuses and, and other things. Um, she soon started getting incorporated into her father's clowning routines. At age 17, she convinced her father to buy her a set of bagpipes, which became her favorite instrument and the centerpiece of her variety act. (laughs) Two things a child asks for that your parents just say no to, drums and bagpipes. (laughs) Come on. Also, usually ponies. Well, ponies. Or a puppy. I mean, she was in the circus, so there were plenty of ponies around. Yeah. Uh, but bagpipes? No. <laughs> yep. Yep. So it was her favorite instrument. She yes. used it all the time. But My mother played bagpipes in her college marching band. Hey, bagpipes are cool. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Terrifying and loud, but cool. Yes. Um, so during her variety act, she also sang, played trumpet, played sleigh bells, did clowning, did dance, and did all of this while done up as a clown with a white curly wig. In fact, her most popular number was one that she sang called Laugh, Clown, Laugh. That sounds hilarious or terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. So I am right now sending you a picture of her. Okay. And listeners, we'll go ahead and put this picture up uh, uh, on the social media so you can can see what (laughs) little Louise looked like all done up in her clown outfit with the bagpipes. That's adorable. That's actually that's actually not not a terrifying clown. Um, no, not at all. Uh, I did I did mistake the uh, bagpipe mouthpiece as a cigar for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like she's smoking a cigar while holding bagpipes and clown makeup. 
Um, yeah, it's got a little bit of that look. But no, that's that's pretty cute. I'm in, I'm into that. Right. I like the circus tents behind her. <laughs> yeah. So she was also apparently gifted as a designer, a craftswoman, was musically talented on clarinet, saxophone, cornet, drums, piano, violin, and of course bagpipes. She was an excellent singer. She was an actress. She was a dancer. She spoke English, German, and French, and she was passable in at least five other languages. So this is why you should encourage your children to run away with the circus. <laughs> Exactly. Circuses are cool. Circuses are cool and a very educational experience. That's so she she really put you gotta have a gimmick to work. Like Oh yeah. She she's not doing burlesque, but she's clowning with like every gimmick that there ever was. And I would argue that clowning and burlesque are kind of the same thing. Cause burlesque is basically clowning while you take your clothes off. <laughs> So uh, interesting you bring that up. So I found my information about her mostly off of this one woman's article, and she was talking about women in clowning because historically clowning tends to kind of be a man's world. And one of the things she brought up was that the first um, recorded women in clowning crop up in France. They're all over the place in France, but essentially they were Moulin Rouge dancers in clown makeup. Yep. Look at me being all educationed and yep. uh and smarts uh without knowing it. <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. kind of put so. that together when you were cuz it cuz <laughs> with all her stuff that she does, there's a song called You Got to Have a Gimmick from Gypsy if if people don't know it. And it's these burlesque dancers that, like, one of them plays a trumpet, one of them lights up, one of them does ballet. Um, Louise looks like she could do all three here. Um, And they're singing to a girl named Louise in the musical. Um, But, yeah, I just, I realized that clowns, like, when we were taking clowning classes, like Red Nose Clown and um, Commedia classes in, in, in grad school, you always had, like, a thing. There was always like a, a, a like your little gimmick, your the the thing you did, um, yeah. Like when I did my my opera burping and like <laughs> that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess yeah, yeah that, that makes sense that they they rose out of burlesque and or yeah, that's cool. That kind of performance. I love that. So look at that history, when, y'all. Y'all learned yeah. something today. <laughs> So when Louise, also known as Lulu, turned 27. Oh, my God. um, She uh, she transitioned into full time clowning, 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 leaving most of the variety aspects of her uh, show behind. She met another clown, a guy named Albert Victor Adams. They married and they formed a clown duo called Albertino and Lulu, touring mostly in the UK and the US, but all over Europe as well. Um, she became known as Lulu Adams. And uh, they they toured together for 21 years until he died of a heart attack in 1948. Okay. She became the first woman to perform as a clown in the British circus. Her routine took her all over the world. She performed and headlined in major circuses like Ringling and Barnum and Bailey all over the place until she finally retired in 1962. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought she was super interesting. and I figured it was important to point out that like... Although most of the clowns we have covered thus far have been men, women can do this shit yeah. too. Yeah, 
and have been I'm successfully super, for super years. Super happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would also like to point out that her name was Lulu. And my clown name was Tallulah Lala. Yep. So Lulu and Lala up in the house. <laughs> yeah. You just have to learn some bagpipes and, and the two of you could have a... I mean, I'm about to go home for Thanksgiving. I can ask my mom if she's got any pointers. <laughs> Does she still have bagpipes kicking I around? I don't think so. I I think I've asked her this before because I was like, what? Um I think they had them for a while and they just they're it's an instrument that deteriorates because of the fabric and stuff. So Yeah. I, the bag doesn't keep forever unless yeah. it's upkept. Yeah. And she hasn't played since college. So um but yeah, that she was in a in a group called the Scottish Highlanders. Cause at the time women were not allowed to be in the marching band. So they could do the much more feminine task of playing bagpipes in the Highlanders. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, okay, you won't, because my mom also played the flute. So she's like, okay, you won't let me play the flute? Okay, give me some fucking bagpipes. <laughs> I've always considered the bagpipes to be the most genteel and ladylike of the instruments. Very like, well, I think what's funny is like, they, I think they just assumed since they had to wear kilts that it looked very ladylike, even though kilts, sure. again, are traditionally male apparel. In yeah, well, ways. although, once again, I've always thought of Mel Gibson as particularly genteel and ladylike. <laughs> hey, Freedom. Mel, if you're listening, and I know you are, oh, please yeah, don't definitely. kill me. He won't. He's drunk. <laughs> <laughs> He's drunk and off being, you know, Mel Gibson-y. Anti-Semitic. Anti-Semitic, which I do not support in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. That's that's very topical right now. So let's let's avoid that that situation or I'm gonna go on a tangent about Yee or Kanye or whatever the fuck his name is. <laughs> yeah. So we'll skew away from that because this is not a politics. Wait, podcast. what do we what do we do? Wait, not clowns or politics? No, not generally. What we do is tell sex jokes about Thanksgiving. That's um, right. But <laughs> what that is, is that's usually hidden within this idea that we are a literary comedy podcast uh, yeah. where every week your hosts take turns cold reading short stories that get pulled out of the obscurity of public domain and bring them screaming into the forefront of your mind, complete with looking up a lot of words that we've never heard before and laughing at things that are really really inappropriate jokes now <laughs> that may or may not have been when the story was first written. Um, this week, I have selected a story for Heather to read for you live on tape on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Colbert. Um, <laughs> live we're, we're, on tape. Yeah, so you're gonna um, you're gonna hear her first pass at this, which will be very exciting. It's always exciting. Let's see how many accents she gets to do today. <laughs> <laughs> um. And even I don't know what the answer to that is. If I had to guess, I would say probably not many, but oh, I've okay. done that before. You definitely and have. And then the entire <laughs> show, the entire, I remember the one you were like, every you should be good. Every character French was French. German. Every character. Yeah. It was like set in France. I'm like, I fucking hate this. <laughs> um. But before we get to this week's story, I wanted to share a few little fun facts with you about this week's author. Clotilda Augusta Inez Mary Graves was born in 1863 at Butevant Castle in County Cork, Ireland. Wow, that is a name and a location. 
Yeah, pretty good one, right? <laughs> I, I, If I was her, I'd commit crimes because no one would be able to recall my name or my locations. <laughs> Despite being named um, Clotilda Augusta Inez Mary Graves, most people just knew her as Clo. Okay. She All was, right. She was Clo Graves. That, that um, makes sense. Which makes me... Which makes me wonder why her parents bothered her giving bothered giving her that long obnoxious name. Yeah. If they were just gonna call her Clo. Yeah. She had military roots coming down both sides of her family. Her father was a member of the 18th Royal Irish Regiment, and her grandfather on her mother's side was a captain near as I can tell in the Royal Navy, although I, I had trouble figuring out exactly where his commission came from. Okay. Um, but regardless, she was military child and moved around quite a bit. Like me. Yeah, something you can relate to. <laughs> In fact, her family moved from Ireland to England when she was nine, uh, where she was educated in a convent. And in her later teens and early 20s, she converted to Catholicism. I'm sorry. She struck out. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just in general saying I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, she struck out into society as a somewhat quirky persona. She became well known for wearing her hair cut very short, affecting a masculine manner and cut of clothing, and smoking cigarettes in public. All characteristics which were decidedly eccentric at oh, the time. Scandal. And in fact, I'm sending you another picture right Yay. now. This is a picture of her. Oh, yeah. Pimped out. She looks right? cool. That's a pretty good look. That's a good look. I uh, can see why people were like, mm, I don't know about this one. Yeah. She probably made a lot of people feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. Unfortunately, people and their non-accepting, bitchy, judgmental ways. I'm sure that she made a lot of people end up questioning their, you know, Sexuality. Personal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so she decided to attend art school okay. and she got a job at a uh, at, at a couple of museum galleries to help uh, and to help support herself. She took up journalism. Uh, she gave up art, realizing that she wasn't particularly good at it and joined a theater troupe. And while she was part of the theater troupe, she had her first chance to write for the stage. Ooh. Um, the first thing she wrote were lyrics for a Puss in Boots pantomime. Oh, yay! But she actually quickly became uh, fairly successful as a playwright, writing at least 10 plays, several of which were produced at Drury Lane, including one play called A Matchmaker, which was widely criticized and praised, depending on which circles you were going in, for comparing marriage to prostitution. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. By the year 1900... Uh, she had moved to Hampstead and become an avid fly fisher and tricyclist. Tricyclist? Yeah. What is she, tw is she like five years old? It probably was one of the things that had like one huge front yeah. wheel and two tiny little back wheels. Yeah. But anyway, tricyclist and fly fisher. It just sounds so funny. A natural pairing. Oh, yes. Uh, right around this time, she also started writing short stories for Edmund Yates magazine, World. And then in 1911, at age 46, she published her first novel under a new pen name, Richard DeHaan. Oh. There has been some perhaps unsurprising speculation that this was not 
purely a professionally motivated mm. choice. Although certainly many women have chosen to write under men's names because it was easier to have success that way. But since she had already had success under her name, Clotilda, and that combined with her tendency to present in a traditionally masculine way, it has been suggested that this choice in pen name may have been something more akin to what we now know as an exploration of gender off, gender. The, yeah. off the traditional binary. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But so she started writing novels as Richard DeHaan. Well, that's very uh, topical because it was Transgender Awareness Day um, like yesterday. Two days oh. ago, yeah. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, so that's 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 awesome. Good, yay. Um, so anyway, her, her th- this first book of hers of Richards uh, was called The Dop Doctor. Four years later, in 1915, it was made into a film, which was banned from the UK under the Defense of the Realm Act for its harsh portrayal of the British and Dutch in South Africa. Oh shit. <laughs> I love that there's something called the Realm Act. That sounds something straight out of Game of Thrones. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's well, and it's it's the defense of the realm. The Act. defense of the realm act. Isn't that like what Varys said every other episode? He's like, it's for the good of the realm. The good of the realm in the defense of the realm. <laughs> like, yep. And like, how dare someone? How dare someone show uh, what colonialism actually looks like? Yeah. Yeah. So basically what ha- the Defense of the Realm Act came about just like a year or two before that movie uh, as a result of World War One. And it it was essentially there um, at the time, their equivalent to what happened in the U.S. with the Patriot Act. Oh. It was just like, let's give our government unfettered power to do whatever the fuck they want for the good of the country. And they used the war as like a way of saying that this is for your own protection yeah fuck that yeah oh gross yeah uh so she died in 1932 at 69 years old um she wrote 23 books including a collection of short stories called the cost of wings and other stories from which you will be reading ponsonby and the panthress okay i'm just gonna point out how many times are we gonna have to say that back to back? Ponsonby and the pa- the panthress. The panthress. The yeah. panthress. All right. Yep. I'm I'm already into this alliteration. Let's, <laughs> Let's start this fire. Ponsonby and the panthress by Richard Dehan. I have called this story Ponsonby and the Panthress because Ponsonby's nocturnal visitor undoubtedly belonged to the genus Carnaria, species F. Pertus, the Pardalis of the ancients. We're off to a really good start. Ain't there is, is there is Latin in the first sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so we might avoid accents, but. But apparently, You're getting the Latin name of animals. Apparently, uh, she was a uh, lover of Latin. Well, I guess she was a Catholic. She she had yeah. uh, gone Catholic in a time where they still did mass in Latin. <laughs> yeah. So I also like not enough stories. Just start with here's why I called my story the Lady or the Tiger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is actually what this title reminded me of when you said it. <laughs> like, yeah. 
All right, let's do it. The whole thing hinges on Ponsonby's getting a ticket of invitation to a mighty dinner given by one of the great city livery companies. Had he refused the invitation and stayed at home with Mrs. Ponsonby, it would have been better for him and for her. Oh no. Dun dun. Wow, this is a great setup. It's like, this is why it's (laughs) called the story. And he's going to make bad choices. (laughs) And here's the drama that's coming. Yep. Tonight on Mad Men. He would not today have been a silent... Uh, ooh, there's a pretty word. Atrabilius? 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 Atrabilius. Oh, I got there. Okay, good. Atrabilius. Melancholy or ill-tempered. Atrabilius. Okay. All right. Although, if anyone is interested, <laughs> it is also a movie coming out in 2023. Oh. With um, Lewis Black and Brooks Ashmanskis. Oh, damn. It's just called yeah. Atrabilius? Atrabilius. Huh. That's okay. Cool. <laughs> I like both of them. My dad loves Lewis Black, um, and I hope Brooks sings because his voice is ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg's in oh, it? Oh, shit. <laughs> Jeffrey Wright's in it? Oh, yeah, it's got a great cast. Oh, well, shit. Okay. <laughs> Alec Baldwin? Kind of buried the lead there, didn't we? Well, he's been going through some shit. <laughs> Andy Carl? Okay, so we got a lot of singers oh, in this shit. cast. Yeah, I'm guessing there's some singing in that. <laughs> yeah. Because Whoopi Goldberg can sing, too, so. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, but the actual definition is like a melancholy person. Ill-tempered or melancholy, okay. yeah. cool. He would not today have been a silent, atrabilious man who goes upon his way in loneliness. That mated loneliness, which is of all desolate conditions on this earth, the most desolate, with a vampire gnawing underneath his waistcoat. Oh, man. Damn, that's sad. This was a bad party. Yeah, this party sucked. She would not have been a much wronged, cruelly neglected woman or the other type of sufferer, the woman who has been found out and forever robbed of that which woman hold dearest in life, the power to create illusions. (laughs) What? What's going on? Holy shit, that was the first paragraph. This party went real bad. This is not a good party. (laughs) This is like where somebody dropped some, like, acid in both of their cups and they saw the other side. (laughs) One of two things has to happen, right? Either the panthress is essentially a cougar who comes in and fucks up their marriage. Yeah. Which is what my thought is. Or there's an actual panther. the panthress (laughs) is a literal panther that comes in and fucks up their marriage. (laughs) All right, here we go. Let's find out. It was a great dinner at that city hall. A feast both succulent and juicy. Ooh, succulent and juicy. (laughs) 
and upon a scale so prodigious as to put it utterly beyond the power of a single-stomached man to do justice thereto. Wow, this is very appropriate for Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a Thanksgiving feast that no one could actually, like, finish. So, perfect. All right. So, how is sex like Pons- with Ponsonby like Thanksgiving? <laughs> We're going to find out. I'm going to guess We're gonna it's kind of messed Things up. Things get really messy. Yeah, uh, I'm going to guess. Things get very messy. <laughs> you end you end the night. Sticky and covered in vomit. <laughs> Your marriage is over. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, damn. <laughs> Many of the guests had thoughtfully provided themselves with several of these necessary organs, but Ponsonby who had recently sold out of the army and invested his commission money in a business and settled down with Mrs. Ponsonby in a neat little house in Sloan Street, was still young and fairly slim. <laughs> All right. Good-looking young man. Most of the guests are um, are gout-ridden uh, old British people. <laughs> yep. And then we've got Ponsonby, who's, like, just come out of basic training, and he's like... Oh, no, whatever will I do? Looking all svelte and sexy. The baked meats and confectionery were excellent, and the drinks, as Betsy Prigg might have observed, was good. (laughs) The drinks was good. The drinks was good. (laughs) And I'm guessing Betsy Prigg had had a few. I, you know what? I like Betsy Prigg. Betsy Prigg went to the party, and she's like, I can't eat all that food, but the bar's open. But the drinks was good. It was revealed to Ponsonby that he had absorbed a considerable quantity only by the swollen condition of his latch key when he tried to fit it into the door of the little house in Sloan Street. <laughs> his latch key was it swollen? Was was he trying to put well, his fingers into the, the door? He was so he was so drunk he couldn't stick the key in the hole. That okay. I was I was I went back to the food. I had forgotten about the drinking. I, I don't know how. The drinks was good. The drinks was good. The drinks was good. <laughs> and he could not unlock his door. Sometimes when the drinks was good, you just can't get it in the hole. Yeah. Well, that's another reason. That's another way Thanksgiving is like. <laughs> 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 but after a short struggle, the door opened. And Ponsonby paused a moment on the doorstep to take some observations on the weather. It was just one o'clock as he looked at his watch in the moonlight. Ponsonby's was reminded of Indian moons by the lucent brightness of the broad silver orb that floated so majestically on the calm bosom of the dark overhead. Oh, that's pretty. Yeah. She was getting near her wane, but only notifying it by an exaggerated handsomeness, like a professional society beauty. <laughs> this moon's sexy. Maybe yeah. the moon is the panthress. The moon is the panthress. <laughs> Ponsonby thought of that simile all by himself and was proud of it. <laughs> He's like, I'm drunk, but I can make poetry. <laughs> I'm a damn poet. What's up, sexy moon? I love, so the difference between a high person and a drunk person with poetry is the high person actually can do pretty good poetry. The drunk person thinks it's good poetry and then rereads it the next day and is like, the fuck? Yep. (laughs) Like, what did I just say? (laughs) Um... 
There we go. Okay, so he's proud of his his drunk poetry. He was proud of it, as he had been a man more celebrated for his mustache than his intellect. Yay! We have a mustached man. Oh my God! This story's hitting all all the all the awesomes. Which makes this officially a campfire classic story. It is officially because there's a mustached man. It's been a while. It's been a while since we had a mustached man. All right. <laughs> oh, whose whose mustache is more impressive than his intellect? That's you know you, you gotta you gotta know your strengths in life and and Ponsonby <laughs> knew his. He could drink and he had he's, a fabulous mustache. He's dumber than a mustache. Dumber than his mustache. He tied a knot in his mental pocket handkerchief to remember it by. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of like putting like a like a mark on his skin to be like remember this, he tied a knot in his handkerchief. That's smart. I, That's I like, like the, that. the the tying a string around your finger. Yeah, thing. to be like oh yeah, which, remember to go to the store or something. Yeah. Which which I tried on occasion, and I'm always just like oh yeah, I need to remember to do, do something. What? Yeah. <laughs> the string isn't helping. Uh, I have to remember to untie this string because it's cutting off my circulation. Like, <laughs> he tied a knot in his mental pocket handkerchief to remember it by, and facing round to go into the house, was a little disconcerned to find the hall door gaping to receive him. Uh oh. Then he went in, barred and bolted very carefully, and set the spring burglar alarm for once. Oh, he doesn't normally set the alarm? Okay. No, apparently not. Well, if he had, the door the wouldn't be door gaping wouldn't at be him. Gaping. <laughs> Ponsonby was unusually careful and deliberate in his movements on this particular night. Then he sat down on the hall bench and took off his boots. Then he switched off the electric hall light. Then he pondered whether he should or should not have just one brandy and soda before going to bed. <laughs> the drinks was good. The drinks was good. Because he had come home so clear and calm and cool-headed from the city dinner. Um, <laughs> sir, did you forget that you had trouble opening your door? <laughs> I or no. And the eyes had it. He went into the dining room. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> I love when you're voting with just yourself. <laughs> so, well, it does make it easy to come to a unanimous decision. It sure does. It sure does. It had been furnished for the Ponsonbees on the best authority in oak with Bromingen Barnes Brass Pots. I'm sure that's an actual company, and I just destroyed the name. But Bromingen, Bromingen and Benares? Bronin, sure. Brom, Brahmin gem and Benares brass pots and tea trays. Something very British. Right. Yeah. The window curtains and the drapery, which hung before a deepish recess into the wall to the left of the door as you entered, were plush of that artistic shade of olive green, which is so shabby when it is new that you can't tell when it gets old. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. It looks like shit at the beginning, so it'll always look like shit, so you don't have to ever remodel. <laughs> it's like every pair of jeans that you could buy in the early 2000s. Yep, yep, that are already ripped up and, like, disheveled, yep. and yep, absolutely. <laughs> they came already looking so beat the fuck up that you couldn't tell when they got old. You're like, these were $300, what? <laughs> yeah. 
The recess had originally been intended for the bookcase, but young married people just starting in life never have any books. <laughs> they are just too much bound up in each other, and so had been, and so it had been covered up. Amazing. So young married couples are just having too much sex to read. So they just covered up the recess for the bookshelf. They're like, we'll get to that when we don't want to talk anymore. We'll get to that when we need a new place to have sex. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when the bedroom gets boring, we'll use the library. You can put things behind a covering of this sort, which you do not care to expose to the gaze of the casual guest. A row of old slippers or a pile of super... N- Annuated? Superannuated. Oh, there we go. Absolute through age or new technological or intellectual development. Okay. (laughs) A pile of superannuated army lists or a collection of of summonses. (laughs) Like, oh shit. I've just been summoned to court 300 times this year. I'm just ignoring it. Or the family skeleton. (laughs) Like, as in, like, well, sure. skeletons in the closet. Like, it can, yeah. it literally, I mean, I, I it usually, can literally be a skeleton, or it could be, like, the family secrets. Yeah, I usually keep my skeleton under the bed, but, yeah, behind a drape, that works, Yeah, too. that's why I like a bed with some under-bed under, under uh, bed storage. Oh. <laughs> that's, where, that's where the shit goes. Ponsonby switched on the light and opened the liquor case with his watch chain key and got a tumbler and a soda siphon from... Sif- Siphon? That's right. Siphon? Siphon? Oh, no. Siphon. Siphon. That's what I was... I I knew it was wrong. Okay. We were both wrong. It's okay. He got a tumbler and a soda siphon from the buffet and lighted a cigar. Then he sat down in an armchair, unbuttoned his white waistcoat, loosened his collar, and prepared to be lonely... 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 Help me out. Lonely convivial. Lonely convivial. Wow. <laughs> Hello. I like that. I like that sentence. I'm going to read it all Lonely again. Lonely convivial. Then he sat down in an armchair, unbuttoned his white waistcoat, loosened his collar, and prepared to be lonely convivical. Was that was that it? Lonely? 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 You, you got lonely right. Lonely convivial? There's, there's only one C in convivial. Convivial. There it is. <laughs> what does convivial mean? Cheerful and friendly or jovial. Okay. So he's sitting down to be contented with some alone time. Yeah. The wife's asleep. Like, well, I'm going to have another. The party's over. I'm going to have a brandy. I got a little drunk going. <laughs> I'm having a good time. I'm going to sit in the dark and just ignore the fact that the door was gaping open when I got home, apparently. Never ignore a gaping door. (laughs) Take that how you will, but I feel like those are good words to live by. I I would agree with that. I would agree that that those are good words to live by. So he sat down and was lonely convivial. Convivial. Convivial, I said it. 
He thought of his girl-like bride asleep upstairs with her cheek upon her hand and her gold-brown hair swamping the pillow. It says much for the state of Ponsonby's affections that while he knew the uses of the monthly half pint of peroxide, which was an unfailing item on the chemist's bill, he could still be poetical about that tinge of gold. (laughs) He's like, it's fake. Her hair's a dye job. It's fake, but it's beautiful. (laughs) Uh, That's adorable. But newly married men seldom look into the roots of anything. <laughs> oh! 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 That, that's a great line. <laughs> that is a sick burn and a fabulous pun. That is fabulous. <laughs> what a great play on like... Oh, I've been digging. I really dig in her... Roots. Root, root of the problem, but also like your you dye your hair and the roots are showing. Yeah, it's such like I've been. Oh, I love it. I'm really digging her like <laughs> her writing, right? Like yeah. the whole time I've been digging it. So anyway, but that's a great line. <laughs> but newly married men seldom look into the roots of anything. He lifted his glass and drank her health. To mammy, he said. <laughs> he just called her mammy. <laughs> Is Wait, it Mammy or Mamie? Mamie, probably Mamie, because they're in England. So I'm gonna make him British. Mamie, well, and I think it's I think it's her name too. Oh yeah. Or or uh, like. I'm gonna make him British as well. He lifted his glass and drank her health. To mommy, mommy. <laughs> <laughs> to mommy. <laughs> Mamie? Mamie. Her, her name is Mamie. To Mamie. Okay. <laughs> to Mommy. To Mommy. Why is your girl like mother asleep upstairs in your bed? Because he's drunk as hell. <laughs> to Mamie, he said, as the frisky glass. The frisky glass. Uh-oh. <laughs> What's he doing down there in the... What's he doing down there at the gaping door? (laughs) Fantasizing about his wife's peroxide air. (laughs) To Mamie, he said, as the frisky frisky gas bubbles snapped at his nose. There, I got it. And then he glanced over the edge of the tumbler at the curtained recess behind the door, and the short hairs of his neck rose up and began to promenade. And his teeth clinked against the glass he held, for a bolt of ice had shot through either ear orifice straight to his brain. In other words, something had laughed, an ugly laugh, behind that drawn curtain. Ooh, gross. Ooh, <laughs> <Ew>, no. <laughs> That's no good. This isn't it. Also, don't stick ice in your orifices. <laughs> or do if you're into that, I guess. <laughs> it's not going to be comfortable. <laughs> no. In another moment, it was put aside. A woman came out of the recess that had concealed her and stood before him. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. With here, her gaping door. Here comes the panthress and her gaping door. <laughs> not to mince matters. She belonged to a class we are content to call unfortunate. <laughs> 
From her tawdry bonnet to the mud-befouled hem of her low-necked silk dress, a preposterous garment, grease-stained and ragged, and partly hidden by an opera cloak of sullied whiteness, the nature of her profession was written on her from head to foot. Ooh, she's <laughs> trashy. Well, she's a hooker, I think, is yep. what, we're, what we're going for here. And a trashy one. She was not without beauty or the archaeological traces of what had been it. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> but as she grinned at the astonished man, showing two rows of strong, square teeth, yellowed with liquor and cigarette smoking, and the gathered muscles of her cheeks pushed up to her underlids, narrowing her fierce, greedy eyes to mere slits, and the hood of her soiled mantle fell back from her coarsely dyed hair. She was a thing unlovely. (laughs) Damn. She seemed to snuff the air with her broad nostrils as scenting prey. She worked her fingers in their dirty white gloves as though they were armed with talons as long to tear and rend. And as she did so, Ponsonby was irresistibly reminded of a panther. (laughs) There it is. Ponsonby had shot panthers in India. (laughs) Well, we knew he'd been to India. Don't shoot panthers, y'all. Ponsonby had shot panthers in India and had once been slightly mauled by a female specimen. (laughs) How does one get slightly mauled? Maybe don't shoot them and they won't maul you, fucker. (laughs) Every time I I hear about anyone getting mauled, what I immediately think of is, um, It's inconsiderate cell phone man. Mauled by a tiger. (laughs) What was that? Was that uh, SNL? Or was no, that, that was uh, that was the please silence your cell phone ads that I think AMC, AMC yeah used for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's was, inconsiderate cell phone man. Actually, it's pronounced karate. <laughs> good marketing. We call that good marketing. <laughs> All right, let's let's find out why he wants to shoot this lady. Okay, so he's been slightly mauled by a tiger. Or uh, sorry. Slightly mauled by a panther in India. It was an odd coincidence that the old scars on his left shoulder and thigh should have begun to burn and throb and shoot unpleasantly as the yellow-white fangs of the intruder gleamed upon him, framed in by her grinning, painted lips. (laughs) But Ponsonby recovered himself after a moment and asked her, without ceremony, how the devil she came there? <laughs> because that's how a British person gets mad at an what intruder. What the devil are you doing here? You came out of my non-existent bookcase. Are you my family skeleton? <laughs> Ooh! <laughs> I knew it would come to life one day. Dear God, Mother, oh. close your gaping door. <laughs> He was not a particularly bright man, but he knew, even as he asked. She had been crouching in the shadow under the portico. Some of the Sloan Street houses have porticos when a, when his cab drove up. What's a portico? <laughs> portico, a structure consisting of a roof supported by columns at regular intervals, typically attached as a porch to a building. 
So it's a porch. So she so was like under porch. the stairs. She's yeah. under the stairs, like a little, like a little uh, raccoon. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Some of the Sloan Street houses have porticos when his cab drove up, so she had been crouching in the shadows. Like a panther. She watched him get out. Then, when he had been standing with his foolish back to the open door, gaping at the moon, the panthress had sulked in with the noiseless cushioned step that distinguishes her race. And now he had to get rid of her. <laughs> Which was not an easy task, as one might think. <laughs> he began by telling her that he was a married man. Knew that! Oh, <laughs> Knew that, said the panthress. Saw you take off your boots in the hall. Saw you drink a Ralph. She mimicked him. To Mamie. And laughed again, that unspeakable, jarring laugh. This is the cruelest version of Eliza Doolittle I've ever heard. Yeah. It's like, he didn't invite her over for vocal lessons. She just showed up. <laughs> Ponsonby grew irate. He took his courage in both hands and went into the hall, where he softly undid the door fastenings. Then he came back and offered to show his visitor out. The most British way to ever be irate. Excuse me a moment. Would you please follow me to the exit, madam? I have opened the door, so there is nothing standing in your way. Would you kindly get the fuck out? <laughs> She was in the act of pocketing a silver race cup won by Ponsonby at the Pony Hurdle Handicap on the Bombay course in 1890 when Ponsonby came back. <laughs> She's just sitting there casually, like, thieving him. He caught her wrist and bade her drop it. She gave it up sullenly. <laughs> Then, with a sudden accession of feminine meekness, she said she would go if he would stand her a drink. <laughs> She's like, oh yeah, darling, I'll get out of your hair if you just give me some of that good bourbon I saw you drinking. <laughs> it seemed a cheap bargain. The unwitting Ponsonby got out another glass from the buffet cupboard and mixed her a brandy. Oh, that's exactly what I said. Didn't I say brandy? <laughs> I think you said bourbon. Bourbon, I said burn it. Yeah, you're right. It's much, this is much more British. And mixed her brandy and soda, not too weak. She drew a chair, his wife's chair, to the table and sat down, throwing her dingy cloak from her whitewashed shoulders. Oh, no. She's like, I'm just going to sit here and enjoy. Like, if I, if I poured her a drink, I'd be like, okay, put it in a shot glass, drink, out. Take the glass with you. Thank you very much. Goodbye. She put her hand to her head and drew thence a long steel pin with a blue glass head and took her gaudy bonnet off and threw it on the table. She did not hurry over the consumption of the liquid, and Ponsonby began to grow impatient. When he hinted this, she asked for a cigar. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think she's making herself at home. She has taken off her cloak and her hat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she ain't going anywhere soon. I'd be like, I'm going to go call the police. <laughs> I wonder if this is just his wife's nighttime personality. Well, so what, what this made me think of when, like, when she sat in the wife's chair, I'm like, is this like Sweeney Todd? 
did she like did the wife like go rogue and like yeah and like this is his wife and yeah. he's gonna kill her and then whoops like oops that's my wife <laughs> or single white female yeah something something's going on here like like she's just role playing like sex has started to get a little boring and so she dressed up like this hooker <laughs> she's like I read about this in Cosmopolitan magazine <laughs> um <laughs> Which I think already existed at this point. Probably. So he gives her a cigar. He gave her one and a light. And she drained the last drop in the tumbler and stuck the burning weed between her teeth. <laughs> oh, now she's now she's smoking weed. It's great. <laughs> I guess it's a cigar, but, you know. Yes. Uh, Cosmopolitan like- started, started being published as a literary magazine uh, in 1886. Oh, shit. All right. Well, yeah, there you go. So, yes, his wife was reading Cosmopolitan and was like, I'm going to dress up like like a, a dirty prostitute and come <laughs> and seduce my husband. She stuck the burning weed between her teeth with a coarse masquerade of masculinity. Ponsonby heaved a sigh of relief. Now, my girl, come along. Time's up. He started for the door. The panthress got up and leaned against the mantel shelf, smoking. She intimated that she had changed her mind and would remain. Ponsonby lost his temper and threatened ejection by main force. (laughs) (laughs) Put me out! You daren't, rejoined the panthress. She added some adjectives reflected upon Ponsonby and the honor of his family, but with those we have nothing to do. She said some dirty, dirty words, but we're not going to say those out loud. (laughs) Ponsonby's under jaw came out, and his forehead lowered. He strode towards the panthress. Her sex was not going to plead for that delicate piece of femininity, it was evident. I daren't, eh? You daren't, because I'd tear and scratch and scream, I would, till the police came, till your wife woke up and came downstairs to see what the row was about. Nice for you, then. Easy for you to explain, with two glasses on the table. It's a sting. (laughs) Oh, fuck. (laughs) Ponsonby broke into a cool perspiration. He spake in his soul and cursed himself for a fool. Of all fools, the one most thoroughly impregnated with foolery. For he saw that he had been trapped. The panthress rocked upon her hips and laughed, shaking out a coarse aroma of patchouli from her shabby garments. (laughs) So she is smoking weed. (laughs) Homeless hippie chick. You had me in and stood me drinks. I can swear to that. My swell toff, I think you better knock under. Ponsonby had to arrive at that conclusion, thinking of his wedded happiness and the golden brown hair scattered on the pillow upstairs. He was awed to the pitch of making overtures, of asking the panthress how much she would take to go. The panthress sprang high, 20 pounds. Ponsonby had not as much in the house. With great difficulty and much exercise of eloquence, he got her to bait five. 
it was necessary that she should be brought to forego another five, for all the ready cash he could muster did not amount to much more than ten. How to attain this desirable end? Ponsonby had dramatic inspiration. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. He's not smart, dude. Just, Mr. Just, Mustache is going to try to be clever. Mr. Mustache, just give her the ten pounds and the silver cup she tried to steal and call it a night. <laughs> like, <laughs> he had read many novels and seen many plays. That is never the good. Be- that is never a good beginning to a plan. <laughs> I say as we read a story. Guys, I saw this movie once. I swear this is gonna work. In most of these, the main plot turned upon the ultimate victory of human virtue and truth over vice and disintegrity. In these books or dramas, vice was generally personified by an adventurous, uh, brazen, defiant person who had made up her mind to ruin somebody or another, and virtue by an innocent girl or pure young wife who pleaded until the hardened heart was melted, the fierce eyes moistened by an unaccustomed tear, until, in short, the naughty woman abandoned her unhollow purpose and left the nice one mistress of the field. <laughs> He's watched way too many rom-coms. He's been reading some Nora Roberts. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) The theory is an admirable one in a book or a play, but in real life, it does not hold good. Ponsonby had since learned this, but at the time, he was youngish and inexperienced. He would weave a net with those golden brown tresses upstairs in which to catch the panthress. He begged her to listen and told his story quite prettily. He explained how, three years before, his regiment having newly returned from India, he had met at a certain south coast resort, separated by a mile or two of arid common from a great dockyard downtown, a lovely girl. She was a friendless orphan, the daughter of a clergyman, had been a governess, had broken down in health, and, with the last remnant of her little savings, taken a humble lodging near the sea in order to benefit from the ozone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. How How she had found, during her innocent strolls on the beach, not only that health of which she had been in search but a husband. (laughs) And finally, how every fiber of her soul, being naturally bound up in that husband and her present state of health delicate, the infliction of such a blow as the pantherist contemplated striking might not only strike at the roots of love, but of life. (laughs) Oh, fucking Ponson me, man. With which... Peroration? Peroration. The concluding part of a speech, typically intended to inspire enthusiasm in the audience. Oh, so like the council, the the final argument. Yeah, it's his closing closing argument. His his peroration. With peroration, council concluded, not wholly dissatisfied with himself. He wiped his brow and sent a hopeful glance at the panthress. Her features had not softened, nor was her eye dimmed. 
Her lips twitched, certainly, but the convulsive movement was merely the herald of a yawn. You're a good one to Joel, she said when she had finished. Come, I'll not be hard on you. How much have you got? <laughs> She's like, bitch, I've heard it all before. Just pay me my money and I will get out of your hair. <laughs> he named the amount. Hand out, the panthers bade him. He would give her half the sum then and there, Ponsonby said with a gleam of strategic cunning, and the other half when she was fairly outside the hall door. Not before. The panthress nodded and clutched the first installment from his hand greedily and caught her dirty bonnet from the table and threw it on her head. No lock, she said warningly. Come on, and moved to the room door where she paused. Ain't you got manners enough to open it for a lady? She remarked in an aggravated tone. <laughs> I love this girl, by the way. <laughs> this bitch. This, this is who I play in the story. <laughs> She's a dirty, dirty thief, but you know. Dirty, dirty, dirty thief. I love it. <laughs> Con artist and a thief. Ponsonby, hastily restoring the telltale second glass to the sideboard, sprang forward and grasped the handle and dropped it as though it had been red hot, for he had caught the sound of footsteps, light, regular, measured footsteps descending the stairs. Oh, shit. He could not utter a word. He turned a white face and glaring eyes upon the panthress, and the steps came nearer. As the dining room door opened, he fell back helplessly behind it, the wall seemed to open and swallow him. Thick, suffocating folds fell before his face. He had backed into the curtained recess whence the panthers had emerged 30 fateful minutes previously. Through a three-cornered rent in the stuff, just the height of his eye from the ground, and through which the beast of prey had probably watched him, he looked and saw his wife. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, shit. She wore a loose white wrapping gown. Her hair, the hair, hung in waves about her shoulders. Barring the bedroom candle she carried and losing sight of her prosthetic. No, not her prosthetic. <laughs> She's got a fake nose, but other than that. Barring the bedroom candle she carried and losing sight of her prosaic 19th century surroundings, she resembled one of Burne Jones's angels. Aww. <laughs> but her calm expression changed, and her voice was tuned to a key of unangelic indignation as her glance lighted on the painted brazen defiance erect and bristling before her. <laughs> oh no, he's erect now? This is a bad time to get aroused, dude. <laughs> I think that the painted brazen defiance is... The Cockney lady. So, she's erect. You? A woman? W what do you want? How, how did you... How dared you come here? The panthress was about, in answer, to launch the first of an elaborate flight of insults, couched in the easy vernacular of Leicester Square, when she stopped short. <laughs> 
Her thick lips rolled back from their gleaming fangs in a triumphant grin. She bent forward with her hands upon her thighs and made a close inspection of the face of Ponsonby's wife. What? Luz? Oh, no. They know each other? Oh, see? <laughs> Shit. Oh, no. This is her mother. <laughs> Mother-in-law's man. <laughs> The other recoiled with a slight cry, and Ponsonby, in his retirement, was conscious of a deadly qualm, for Mrs. Ponsonby's Christian name was Lucy. Oh, yes! Yes! This twist! When he opened his shut eyes and peeped through the rent again, it was only to receive a fresh shock. For Mrs. Ponsonby and the Panthers were sitting, one on either side of the table, chatting like old friends. <laughs> Luck was poor, the Panthers was saying, and me low down in my spirits. When I found the door of a swell house like this open, I'll pop in, says I to myself, and look round for a snack or something and drop and go a drink, and then make off if I can clear, or else go to the quad like a lady. And, and I did pop in, and I did look about, and the first thing that turns up is you! On a smooth lay, ain't ya? Always a daring one you were, clergyman's daughter and an orphan. We've most of us been clergyman's daughters and orphans in our time, but not a girl of us ever looked at more than you. And you're married! Oh my god, oh my god, she's like an old, like, hooker. She's saying they've all played clergymen's yep. wives and all. Oh! <laughs> this is fabulous. <laughs> and you're married! <laughs> With a swell church service and singing and a continental tour to give the orphan a little change of scenery. She's seen so little in a time, the poor dear. Lord, I shall die of it. <laughs> The woman rocked with silent laughter. It seemed to the man behind the curtain that her eyes, across his wife's shoulder, glared full into his, that her coarse jeers were leveled at him. He could not have uttered a sound or stirred a finger for the dear life. A kind of catalepsy had possessed him. But he saw them drink together and heard them talk, turning over with conversational pitchforks the unspeakable horrors of the dung hill whence his white butterfly had taken wing. <laughs> Ponsonby had never been an imaginative man, but that midnight conference wrought his sensibilities to such a pitch that leaning against the wall in the corner of the curtained recess, he quietly fainted. This is so good. He came back to consciousness in darkness through which struggled no gleam of light. He did not know where he was until he staggered out from behind the stifling draperies and switched on the light with shaking hands. Then he found himself in his own dining room. There were no glasses on the table. The spring bar of the liquor stand was in its place. The brandy decanter was, as he remembered, to have left it half full. He found his candle on the sideboard and lighted it, and went into the hall. 
The hall door was barred and bolted. Thank God, I have been dreaming, said Ponsonby, and went upstairs. He fucking, like, drunkenly thinks he passed out and had a dream. Nope, 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 nope. There she lay, a breathing picture of reposeful innocence, fast asleep. Ponsonby stooped and kissed the hair that flooded her pillow and invaded his own. And silently swore by all his deities that he would never go to another city dinner for as long as he lived. (laughs) Before he crept into bed, he knelt down, a thing he had not done since he was a boy, and said awkwardly, Oh, God, I'm glad it was a dream. Thank you. He slept the sleep of the weary and rose not a giant. It is true, but very much refreshed. (laughs) He dandered down to the breakfast table in a leisurely way, humming a tune. As he shook out his newspaper, the absurdity, the improbability of his recent vision struck him for the first time. He laughed until he ached. Then he dropped his newspaper and stooped to pick it up. Something bright that lay upon the carpet under the table attracted his notice. The man put forth his hand and took it, and his ruddy morning face underwent a strange and ghastly alteration. For the thing was a long steel bonnet pin with a vulgar blue glass head. Men have died suddenly of pin pricks before now. (laughs) But Ponsonby's tortures are lingering. He is alive still, and she is still Mrs. Ponsonby. He has never spoken. The secret of the blue glass pin is hidden from the woman who walks life's path with him. But sometimes she is haunted by a dreadful doubt, and at all times he is bestridden by an overwhelming certainty. The end. Holy shit, that was awesome. That was fucking fabulous. Oh, that was a ride. That was a ride. That was hilarious. That was brilliant. That was such a cool twist. Like, you expect the wife to come downstairs and be like, oh, my God, my wife, my husband's cheating on me. Or, like, or I'm being robbed. And instead, it's, like, her old best friend. You find out the wife has been fucking, like, swindling this man the whole time. So, she, she did, she pulled, um... She pulled a real life pretty woman without him ever knowing. Well, I love that he told this story to the woman like of like, oh, she was a preacher's daughter and like la la la, because that was the story she told him. Yeah. And she's sitting there the whole time going, "Um, that's the story I tell my clients sometimes. Whatever. Just give me the money, dude. And then he and then she realizes without even knowing it that. The story was real because it's a story that her friend tells all the time. Wow. That is glorious. That was great. That was real. like, that was, um, there were, there were a few moments when I thought I had it figured out and yeah. it, like, it, that was cool. So we were right in thinking that the wife was the woman, but not really. It wasn't sort of, that yeah, woman. Yeah. The wife is is best friends with that woman yeah (laughs) or was best friends with that woman that was wild hey listener did you have that one figured out because i sure the hell didn't 
I sure the hell did not. And that was fucking delightful. And I love that, like, the twist happened and then he passes out and he wakes up and thinks it's a dream. But then there's that amazing, uh, uh, he finds the pin. It's a, uh, what is the convention? Thank you. The word is convention. The convention in storytelling where, like, you wake up from the dream and then reality and is find the oh, thing that shit. proves it wasn't a dream. Yeah. Oh shit. And I love that he never said anything to his wife. Yeah. And, she, and the whole time she has no idea. Like, as far as we know, the woman, the Panthress, uh, never told her, Lucy, that she had been swindling the husband. Right. Well, which is that last paragraph yeah. says, so the wife lived the rest of her life with recurring doubts. Yes. And Mr. Ponsonby lived, lived the with rest certainty. of his life with certainty. Yeah. So yeah. she apparently has some suspicions, but does not know for sure that, yeah. that, yeah. that he ever met her friend. I love that the friend, like, just kept that from her. Like, she was like, oh, I don't even want her to know. I'm, well, because the woman probably thinks he's listening the whole time anyway. So she's fucking up his life, but not fucking hers up. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's she's looking out for a friend. I You, you got to imagine that people who come out of that world don't make yeah. it terribly often. And like, hey, good for you. You yeah. made it. And I yeah. got some cash out of the deal, so why would I ruin your life? I got 10 pounds and a couple drinks because the, <laughs> the friend comes down and is like, let's have some drinks, catch up, good old yeah. times. Um, yeah, that was fabulous. I want I want to read more of her stories. That was she's, really great. She's got, she's got a bunch of them. She's got a bunch that, of them. That um, was really fun, and it was very, like, I love the, the fun facts you shared about her. Included that she smoked cigars and she was kind of like, you know, because like now this lady of the night or this thief or whatever she is, um, is she's more of a, I think they were more of con artists than like ladies of the night. Um, well, it seems probably a little column A, a little, little column B. A little, little bit of both deciding, yeah. depending on the day, depending yeah. on, depending on the, uh, the prey. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I also think it's really interesting that she got her start as a writer in theater because it it was visually descriptive enough that I could like I could see it playing out. Oh, very theatrical. Um, I could see that as a play like yeah, that. Like that could easily, easily be done as a movie. Easily done as a like yeah, um, one set. Three actors. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like eat like. It would be a great, like, like one act. Yeah. Like a great, like little 45 minute play. Like, yeah. like really like big twist. <laughs> Very entertaining. Um, yeah. And as you said, it's like the, the Eliza Doolittle you never invited over to your house. Showed up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... So listeners, what did you think of that one? And how would you finish the sentence, sex with Ponsonby is like dinner <laughs> at a city party? <laughs> sex with Ponsonby is like 
Waking up from a horrible nightmare. <laughs> um, anyway, write in and let us know your thoughts on that story. Uh, you can shoot those to 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or message us on any of the social media. And please use this week's secret passcode, which is the drinks was good. The drinks was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a that sounds like a Lawler uh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> Drinks was good. We're about Everything to have a lot of red wine. We're gonna about to have a lot of red wine at my aunt Julia's and Scott's house. So yeah, nice. <laughs> the drinks was good. <laughs> uh, well, that's all I've got for this week. You got any parting shots before we sign off? Uh, no, it's too early in the day for shots for me, but I'm gonna have some more coffee here. <laughs> <laughs> Espresso. The drinks was good. <laughs> the drinks was good. And on that note, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I'm a Pinterest. <laughs>